never guess what the title is. The Eye of the Storm. The Eye of the Storm. Living in the southeastern part of the United States, hurricanes are a common threat from June to November every year. When a storm approaches the coast, everyone's attention is focused on it. Some of these hurricanes are so large, they span hundreds of miles. Their strength can produce winds that exceed 150 miles per hour. We've all seen images of these massive storms as they churn their way over the warm waters of the Atlantic Ocean. Most notable is the eye of these storms. This impressive sight is typically around 20 to 40 miles wide. Their circumference of the eye wall is lined with strong thunderstorms. Although the greatest wind of the hurricane is found circulating around the eye wall, within the eye itself, the conditions are calm. The hurricane of God's judgment makes landfall on planet earth when the lamb opens five of the seven seals on a scroll that is the title deed to the earth. The breaking of these seals brings God's preliminary judgments on the world. These seal judgments unleash a false sense of peace, war, famine, death, and a cry for martyrs for revenge. As horrible and destructive as these judgments are, they are only the beginning of suffering and sorrow. The opening of the sixth seal marks the day of the Lord and unleashes an even greater devastation. Even though the wrath is severe, the wicked inhabitants of the earth refuse to repent. Instead, they cry out for the rocks and the mountains to fall on them and hide them from the wrath of the Lamb. Before opening the seventh seal, an interlude occurs during which God seals 144,000 Jewish evangelists to spread the gospel of Christ throughout the earth. In heaven, the multitudes gather to worship around the throne of God. When the Lamb breaks the seventh seal, it is like the eye of a storm. There is silence in heaven for about half an hour. During this period, anticipation grows due to the judgments that are about to occur. When this brief pause ends, the full fury of God's wrath will be revealed through the seven trumpet judgments and the seven bowl judgments. Although some believe these judgments will happen simultaneously, more likely they will unfold in sequential order. Nevertheless, this will be the great tribulation, the most intense time of the tribulation period. The brief pause in the unleashing of God's judgment is only the calm before the storm. What follows will be the most severe outpouring of judgment the world has ever seen. Let's take a closer look at the seventh seal as it is opened. 
Now, know with me, go with me if you would to Revelation chapter 8 and look in verses 1 through 5. And we begin to see the restraint of God's judgment. The restraint of God's judgment. Verse 1 tells us when the Lamb broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Now, some people, I think incorrectly, try to use this verse to say that there will be no women in heaven. I just want to make sure you're awake. Now, I said that I do not believe that particular perspective. I do not accept that as a viable understanding of this text. Just want you to know, ladies, okay? Are we good? All right. Well, again, look at the restraint of God's judgment. Verse 1 says, when the Lamb broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. The only one worthy to break the seal is the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. Just as with the six previous seals, the Lamb opens the seventh and final seal. This enables the scroll to be completely unrolled, revealing the remainder of its contents. John, perhaps expecting to witness an immediate resumption of judgment, notes that for a period of about half an hour, silence falls throughout heaven. This occurrence is surprising considering all the activities and sounds that have been happening around the throne. One can only ponder the reason for this silence. Although various possibilities exist, this period appears to build anticipation for the explosive and intense wrath that will soon fall on the earth. Also, the silence is connected with the subsequent text. As we shall see in more detail in verses 4 and 5, prayers are being offered up to God from the saints. These prayers are given full attention in heaven. God seems to be restraining the expression of his wrath to receive the prayers of his people. This Paul should reassure believers that prayers do not go unnoticed. God hears and answers his children when they cry out to him. Then we see the resources for God's judgment. Verse 2 says, And I saw the seven angels who stand before God. The seven trumpets were given to them. John records that the seven angels who stand before God are instruments in the unfolding of the trumpet judgments. Notice that the definite article is used to identify the seven angels. This indicates that they compose a select group of heavenly beings. The description, they stand before God, informs us that they come from the very throne of God. These angels are presented with seven trumpets. Throughout the Bible, trumpets are used for a variety of reasons. Numbers chapter 10 lists three ways trumpets are used by the Hebrew people. 
Notice if you've made this notation, just also put in the, the margin of your Bibles, verses 1 through 8 of Numbers chapter 10. Here they are said to be used to sound for the assembly to come together. Verse 9 says that they are blown to summons the people for war. Trumpets were also used during special occasions. As when each of the seals was broken and another more severe judgment was released on the earth, the blowing of each trumpet will send forth a more devastating expression of God's wrath. However, the time to blow these trumpets has not yet come. So that leads us now to verses 3 and 4. Here we see the request for God's judgment. The request for God's judgment. Look at verse 3. Another angel came and stood at the altar holding a golden censer. Appearing on the scene is another angel. This heavenly creature is in addition to the seven angels mentioned in verse 2. Some have suggested this is Christ himself. This, however, does not seem to be the case. The Greek word for another is alos, meaning another angel of the same kind. This angel is like the seven introduced in verse 2. John writes that another angel came and stood at the altar. This golden incense altar is like the altar that stood before the veil in the temple and later the tabernacle, uh, or, or I should say that stood the tabernacle and later the temple. But notice you can notate in your Bible that you can find that reference in the book of Exodus chapter 30 verses 1 through 6. The angel is holding a golden censer which is a fire pan. Under the old covenant, the priests would come in both the morning and evening to move the hot coals from the brazing altar to the incense altar in the holy place. As they burned the incense, it would ascend to heaven representing the prayers of the saints. This was the role Zacharias was performing when he was told about the coming of the birth of his son, John the Baptist. You can read of that in Luke chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. Then look with me, if you would, in in the middle of verse 3. And much incense was given to him so that he might add it to the prayers of the saints on the golden altar which was before the throne. The angel is given much incense. In Revelation chapter 5 verse 8, golden bowls full of incense are identified as the prayers of the saints. We also find in Revelation chapter 6 verses 9 through 11 that the martyrs underneath the altar cry out to God to judge and avenge their blood. These prayers are already aflame on the altar. The angel is given much incense so that he might add it to these prayers. Verse 4 also says, And smoke, the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up 
before God out of the angel's hand. During the tribulation, the pain from the persecution will prompt the saints on earth and the saints in heaven to lift their voices up to God. Their cries for God to act in righteous judgment to avenge their blood and established his just reign will be heard. God will respond with an overwhelming display of his might and power. Then verse 5 speaks about the release of God's judgment. Look in verse 5 with me. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with the fire of the altar and threw it to the earth. Like the brief calm that is shattered when the eye of a hurricane passes. The silence in heaven is broken with a sudden and violent attack on planet earth. The resumption of judgment occurs when the angel throws the censer filled with the fire of the altar to the earth. This act is linked with and is in response to the prayers of God's people. Then we come to the middle of verse 5, and there followed peals of thunder and sounds and flashings of lightning and an earthquake. Once again, the earth is covered with the fury of God's judgment. Peals of thunder and sounds rumble through the earth. Flashes of lightning streak across the sky. An earthquake shakes the ground, causing chaos around the world. In Revelation chapter 4, verse 5, chapter 11, verse 19, and chapter 16, verse 18, these signs are mentioned in connection to the throne of God. They are also witnessed at Mount Sinai as an expression of God's mighty presence. We see this in Exodus chapter 19, verses 16 through 19. The sights, sounds, and shaking of the earth are just the prelude of the seven trumpet judgments and the seven bold judgments that are coming. Now you find yourself in chapter 8, verses 6 through 12, devastation from the trumpet judgments. Look at the devastation. Let's notice how, first of all, it affects the earth. We see this in verses 6 and 7. Verse 6 says, And the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound them. The intense destruction that has already rained down on the earth has only been a foretaste of the wrath that is coming. The seven angels positioned themselves to blow their trumpets of judgment, unleashing the next round of calamity and chaos throughout the earth. Verse 7 says, The first sounded, and there came hell and fire mixed with blood, and they were thrown to the earth. In Joel chapter 2 verse 30, The prophet Joel warns that disasters like these will come during the day of the Lord. He said, I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth, blood, 
fire and columns of smoke. This judgment is like the seventh plague that God sent to Egypt. You can read about this in Exodus chapter 9 verses 18 through 26. The sounding of the first trumpet will introduce the worst ecological disaster the world has ever seen. The blast results in hell and fire with a mixture of blood plummeting the earth. No explanation is given as to how the blood is mixed with the fire and hell. Whether or not it is literal blood or only red in color is unnecessary for us to know. The main point is that the results will be devastating to the earth. Continue to read now with me in verse 7. A third of the earth was burned up and a third of the trees were burned up and all the green grass was burned up. The storm of fire and hail mixed with blood will scorch a third of the earth rendering it useless to produce food. A third of the trees will also be destroyed. This will cause fruit to be in short supply. The flames will burn up all the green grass that covers the planet. Both domesticated and wild animals will be deprived of grass and grains needed to survive. Such a crisis will contribute to mass starvation around the globe. And then there's also devastation that comes to the sea, as mentioned in verses 8 and 9. Look with me in verse 8. The second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. As the second angel blows his trumpet, another fiery judgment will be hurled towards the earth. Whereas the first blast was focused on the land, the second trumpet judgment will target the sea. This will involve all the bodies of salt water around the earth. This great burning mountain appears to be an asteroid or a meteorite that blazes through the atmosphere and lands in the sea. Verses 8 and 9, as we begin to read in the middle of verse 8, And a third of the sea became blood. And a third of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died. And a third of the ships were destroyed. Three horrible results occur from the impact. First, a third of the water becomes blood. Water turning to blood was the first plague to strike Egypt. If you remember, it's recorded in chapter 7, verses 19 through 21. Around 70% of the earth is covered in water. 96.5% of the water on earth is in our oceans. This would be a tremendous amount of water ruined by this judgment. Second, a third... Of the living creatures in the waters die. The death of marine life is going to be an environmental disaster. The economy will be severely impacted. 
This loss will also adversely affect the already depleted food supply. Third, a third of the ships sailing in these waters will be destroyed. According to 2020 numbers, around 56,000 merchant vessels use the oceans around the world. If this judgment occurred today, 18,666 of these ships would be lost. The entire world will be shaken by this terrible disaster. And then we come to the rivers and we see disaster falls on the rivers as well. Look with me now in verses 10 and 11. First of all, verse 10. The third angel sounded and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The third angel blows his trumpet, resulting in another heavenly body streaking across the sky. This great star is described as burning like a torch. The Greek word for star, astar, can also refer to other space objects. In this case, John tries to identify something that looks like a star with a fiery tail behind it. Perhaps he he saw a comet or a meteor. Some have also suggested that this could be a description of a nuclear missile. Whatever the case, the destruction it brings will be horrible. As a star enters the earth, as a star enters the earth's atmosphere, the fire falling from this enormous object will reach a third of the fresh water found in the rivers and the springs. Look at verse 11. The name of the star is called Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died from the waters because they were made bitter. Wormwood is the name of the star. The term is used various times in the Old Testament to refer to something bitter or poisonous. For example, Deuteronomy 29, 18. Proverbs 5, 4, Jeremiah 9, 15, as well as 23, 15, Lamentations 3, 15, and verse 19, Amos 5, 7, and Amos 6, 12. The name comes from a woody shrub that has a bitter taste. When the star called Wormwood falls into the fresh water on earth, a third will become contaminated. This disaster is like the first plague God brought upon Egypt. Again, Exodus chapter 7, verse 21. You can also see it, verse 24. When God turned the water to blood, the people could not drink it. Once the people left Egypt, God provided them with water with the miracle at Marah by turning bitter water into sweet water. You see this in Exodus chapter 15, verse 25. In contrast to the miracle at Marah, the water poisoned by wormwood 
will take the lives of many who drink it. With the sounding of the first three trumpets, tremendous environmental disaster and devastation come upon the earth. What a terrible time this will be to live on this planet. Now prepare for the fourth trumpet to blow. We see this in verse 12. And here will come devastation in the heavens. The fourth angel sounded and a third of the sun and a third of the moon and a third of the stars were struck. Following the previous pattern, the fourth angel sounds his trumpet. This judgment affects the heavenly body's ability to provide light on the earth. This restriction is like the ninth plague that struck Egypt, recorded in Exodus chapter 10, verse 21 and 22. This limitation of light will result in serious problems throughout the world. The temperature will be reduced, causing a domino effect throughout the earth's entire ecosystem. With food shortages already causing starvation, this judgment will lead to even greater death and destruction. These conditions are foretold by the prophets of old. For example, in Isaiah chapter 13, verses 9 and 10. Ezekiel chapter 32, verses 7 and 8. Joel chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And verse 10 and verse 31, as well as chapter 3, verse 15. You can also find other references in Amos 5, 18 and 8, 9. Let's read from Isaiah 13, verses 9 and 10, and you'll get an idea of what I'm talking about here. Here we find these words. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming. Cruel, with fury and burning anger, to make the land a desolation. And he will exterminate its sinners from it. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not flash forth their light. The sun will be dark when it rises, and the moon will not shed its light. The New Testament passages of Luke 21, verse 25, Mark chapter 13, verses 24 and 25, record Jesus' warning regarding these heavenly signs. At this point in the tribulation, the world will be enduring the greatest crisis in the history of the world. But things will continue to get worse. Look in verse 13. Here we see communication about the trumpet judgments. And I want you to see, first of all, the woes. They are mentioned here in verse 13. Let me read it for you. Then I looked and I heard an eagle flying in mid-heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, 
Woe to those who dwell on the earth. John sees and hears an eagle flying in mid-heaven. Now pay careful attention here. Both the King James and the New King James versions use the word angel instead of eagle. However, the older and better manuscripts use the Greek word for eagle. The difference is probably due to a scribe replacing the word eagle with the word angel in an attempt to interpret its meaning. Nevertheless, the basic meaning of the text is unchanged regardless of which word is preferred. The eagle is a bird of prey that is swift and effective in its abilities. For this reason, eagles are sometimes used in the Bible to convey judgment. For example, you can read about this in Deuteronomy 28, verse 49, Hosea chapter 8, verse 1, and Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 8. The eagle is seen flying in mid-heaven. This indicates that its flight is at noon when the sun is high in the sky. The loud cries made by the eagle are three woes. The term woe is often employed in scripture to convey deep emotion, sorrow, or distress due to impending doom and destruction brought on by God's judgment. Now let's look at the warning. We can see this in verse 13 as well. Let's continue to read in verse 13. Because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. Now that's the reason why these these woes are so serious. Because they serve as a warning. They're warning the people of what is about to transpire. The eagles' three foreboding woes foretell of the next three trumpets that will soon blow. The first four trumpets announced judgment that fell on the natural world and indirectly affected humanity. The remaining three trumpets will bring judgment directly on humankind. Those who dwell on the earth is a reference to the wicked rebels that inhabit the earth. The coming wrath will be more terrifying and deadly than any of the preceding judgments. This is the reason the angel or the the eagle is crying out, woe, woe, woe. However, the warning goes unheeded. No one is prepared for what is about to happen. Just when everyone thinks the storm of God's judgment has passed, they quickly realize that the brief pause is only the eye of the storm. As the storm clouds approach, the terrible day of the Lord has come. 
There will be no way to escape the coming judgment. Humankind has defied God long enough. The ill effects of sin have ravaged the entire creation. Now, the Lamb is going to reveal his full fury against the ungodly. If you are a born-again believer in Christ Jesus, I have some good news for you. You will be spared from the coming destruction. God will protect you from his wrath. You are part of the bride of Christ. I believe you will be in his very presence when this happens. As you see this day approaching, what manner of life should you and I be living? I do believe that we are, are close to the return of Christ. I believe that the Lord does not return for his church. If the world continues in the direction that it's going, it cannot survive. We will destroy ourselves. Knowing that the Lord is returning soon for his church, all Christians, all of us who are believers, should be sober, vigilant, and warning others of the coming judgment. Perhaps you have no assurance of your salvation. Maybe you're here tonight and you're uncertain about your standing with God. And I would say to you that now is the time for you to make peace with God. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He came to reconcile the lost to God. He came way down to where we are, lived without sin, died on a rugged cross, bearing our penalty for sin, which is death. And then the Father raising him from the dead as a triumphant proclamation that his sacrifice was accepted. And with his death and resurrection, the declaration of all who will by faith trust him will be saved and brought into right fellowship with God. And that's where peace with God occurs. By the way, the peace of God is is not that we go through life without any troubles. And that we always feel like everything's all right. Because sometimes things aren't all right. Sometimes we experience loss, trouble, sorrow, hardship. Sometimes we have questions that aren't answered. The peace of God is primarily that God has reconciled us who are enemies to himself And then because we have peace with God, we can have peace with each other. No wonder the world is filled with war. No wonder peace is so elusive. It's because people have not experienced the Prince of Peace in their lives. But if you do not have Christ in your life tonight, I urge you, yield your life to Him. We are at a place in history where... God is giving you grace. He's giving you an opportunity to cry out to him in forgiveness. 
for forgiveness, to, to be cleansed of your sin and, and brought in communion with him. The Bible promises those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you don't know the Lord tonight, you don't need to wait till tomorrow. If you don't have a confidence of your salvation, you need to, to cry out to the Lord and settle that issue tonight. Maybe you're a young person here and you think, well, you know, I have plenty of time. I'm, I'm still young and I'm vibrant and filled with energy. I have a long life ahead of me. You don't know that. Christ could come tonight through death or through the rapture of the church and you will be left behind. You say, Pastor, are you trying to frighten me? No, I'm trying to tell you the truth. I'm trying to tell you what the Bible teaches. And I believe that the Bible is the word of God and his word is always true. But if you will cry out to Christ and say, Lord, I am a sinner. I deserve death and hell. But I turn from my sin and by faith I trust Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. Please wash me clean with the blood of Christ. Give me a home in heaven. He'll hear your prayer. And he'll change your life. Are you a believer but you've not been walking with the Lord the way you should? Now's the time to confess that. Is there some area of sin in your life that's crept in that you need to address before the Lord through confession and repentance? Do it. Jesus is coming. Be ready when he comes. Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you for your love and compassion for us. And Lord, as we look into the future through the pages of your word and we see the devastation that is coming through the seven seals being broken and the seven trumpets being blown and the seven bowls being poured out, as you rain down your judgment on this wicked, rebellious world. It's a frightening thing to consider. But Lord, it brings us great comfort in knowing that you are our Savior and that you've made a way for us and that we will be with you in eternity. And all of this trouble and trial that we see in our world and this hatred and division and sin and outright rebellion against you will ultimately come to an end and you will establish your kingdom you will rule and reign and we will be with you not because we deserve it but because of your grace we thank you for these things lord this now we pray in christ's name amen